0: Hello and welcome to Politics Plus, uh, the first in a new podcast series from Slugger O'Toole. And to begin with, I'm joined by Rory McKenna and Shane Greer, both of whom are occasional contributors to Slugger. Uh, But what they both have in common is that they're based in Washington, D.C. So we deliberately sat down, took some time out to look at what lessons we might learn from this particular election? In particular, what lessons are there in it for uh, those involved in politics in Northern Ireland?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think actually I'll I'll start with something just to put it into some Northern Ireland uh, context for folks because, you know, it is easy to get a lot of the general commentary about it, a lot of other places. Uh, One thing I'll just touch on, uh, which sort of sits on the side of the business I deal with more, which is political campaigning just to give you a sense of the scale um and obviously northern ireland is not the united states <clears throat> but the uh the total amount uh, the latest estimate and the total amount um, that will be spent on the presidential election uh, and the congressional uh campaigns um this cycle so no state stuff no local stuff none of that um about 14 billion and it may end up being higher than that. The total spend in the 2017 Northern Ireland Assembly elections uh, works out at 0.00139% of the amount spent uh, on the elections here. And just looking at the Biden campaign, taking that same amount spent in 2017 by nine parties in Northern Ireland, about 150,000 pounds sterling. Uh, the Biden campaign, since it launched on April 25th, 2019, uh, between then and Election Day, it spent that same amount every two hours and 41 minutes uh, for that entire uh, duration. <clears throat> so I, I just make that point because you know it's it's easy to kind of watch the elections from afar and have a sense that there's a lot of money involved and so on. But when you really get up close to it, you you appreciate just how uh, huge uh, the spending is here, how huge the kind of campaigns are, the kind of resources they have. You know, it's, it, every cycle it gets bigger. But uh, that, that's one takeaway uh, for me, again, at least trying to, you know, relate it back to the Northern Ireland context so folks have a bit of a sense.
0: Of course, uh, it's, worth, it's worth mentioning too, Shane and Rory, that at least at the end of this, the United States will get a government. It took us three years after the 2017 um, election, they actually get a government of any shape, where form. So you pay what you pay for what you what you actually get in the end. Rory, any thoughts?
2: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be so quick to assume that the the government is a foregone conclusion, given that the appointments have to be confirmed by the Senate, and the Senate looks like it's going to stay in Republican hands. So there's a lot of hurdles still to clear there. And one of the defining features, of course, of the Trump years was that. He didn't even try to get people confirmed. He preferred to have what we call here acting, which is in another way of saying illegitimate um, appointees because they were easier to fire. So US politics doesn't move immediately from elections into government. There's still constant electioneering along the way and so there's a lot of fights left to fight. I'll pick up Shane's point on the cost because one of the things that struck me during this cycle was that it was cheap at the price. And and what I mean by that is, there's a lot of ink spilled on how much people spend on politics, but when you compare that in the US to other marketing verticals, and we're in a pretty good position to do that at at, at my group care too, because essentially you've got media buyers and media sellers, And, and most people are media buyers, they call themselves consultants, and all they're really doing is telling candidates where to spend money, on which channel, at what scale, etc. We have about 56 million members, so we're in a position to give access to our membership. And I was struck by how much more we could have provided and how, how quickly a lot of, especially down-ballot campaigns, ran out of money. Just to give one quick example of that, it was interesting on my team, during the run-up in the final month, watching how much some of our... Even national campaigns were spending compared to in our commercial work with a large pet food company, what they were willing to spend on a campaign around banning shock collars for dogs, and it was night and day. So Ian's right that, or sorry, seems right that in the aggregate that the total spend on politics is enormous. But in a huge country, which you know comparably, you'd have to look at almost the whole of the EU to get a sense of the scale. There's actually, given the stacks here, surprisingly little spent compared to what could be spent to really get people over the edge. And maybe I'll just slightly change the subject, and she and, and, and pivot back to you by drawing attention to one example of how this played out. So there's now, in the post-election analysis, a pretty heated debate breaking out within the Democratic Party over whether the seats that were not successfully defended were lost based on message or lost based on organization. So the people that consider themselves moderates, they're saying, the message killed us here. We were seen as too far to the left. And I thought the people who were further left had a really good comeback, which was to quote AOC, let's look under the hood for a second and see what you actually did. Because in a lot of the races where seats were lost by Democrats, basic things were not done well. Spend was not managed properly. The right constituencies were not engaged effectively and it was really telling that in the swing states that got biden over the age it was actually the organization by progressives that drove turnout to record levels levels without which he wouldn't have got over the line there so both of those things are true message is important spend is important organization is obviously important but there's not a real tension as to Where should, on the Democratic side, where should the focus be? And similarly, on the Republican side, the big thing to watch is, will people cut Trump loose and move on, or are they still terrified of him? And it looks like they're still terrified of him. That's what kind of explains what's been going on for the last few days. As we go into the runoffs in Georgia, there's huge fear that if Trump and his family, frankly, come down against any of the people on the Republican ticket, they're toast. And so as a result, we have to continue to go through this crazy, um, almost emotional drama for somebody that can't accept an election result where he's already down by over 5 million votes and looks like he probably lose the electoral college by around 300.
1: Yeah, I, yeah. I will just pick up on that. because I, I, it's, the, it's the kind of perennial debate, right? And you could go from cycle to cycle and folks saying, well, you know, was it the messaging? Was it the organizing? Was money spent in the right places and in, in, in the right way? And there's a couple of things that are really interesting about that. The first is that um, in politics campaigns, it's quite different from consumer marketing. You know, in consumer marketing, you could put out a new type of uh, McDonald's meal in one market market that is uh, demographically comparable to five other markets, and you can run a whole bunch of different tests and see what works best and see what actually produces a result. You really can't do that uh, in campaigning because uh, how do you set up that kind of uh, controlled experiment? How do you account for the other factors, other campaigns behaving differently? And So it's very difficult, uh, almost impossible, I would say, to draw uh, um, definitive causal uh, conclusions, although you can attempt uh, to get close. I think the reality is ultimately that it's it's going to be a mix of things, and that the mix of things is going to vary by place to place. So, if you look at the messaging side, you can point to I think some messaging on goal own goals there. So, take something like defund the police. Um, whatever the underlying goals of that were. The words defund the police taken on their own, which is how a lot of people who aren't following it closely, which is most people not following politics closely, that can be read a number of different ways. One of them is you want to defund the police, i.e. take the funding for the police and remove it. So thats I think that's a good example of bad messaging whereby you come up with something really simple, but it doesn't really say uh, what you mean. Um, And it isn't ambiguous enough that someone can read whatever positive thing they want uh, into it. So for example, Obama's, yes, we can, that can mean a thousand different things to a thousand different people. They can all put their own spin onto it. Clear messaging, simple. So I think you can look at that, but then you can also look at um, the other side, which is, where did you allocate your spending? How did you, how did you organize? Were you too heavy in TV or digital uh, in this market? Um, One big one that, folks are coming back to time and time again, which is that the Democrats, understandably, uh, I think, uh, backed away from in-person door knocking when it comes to canvassing and uh, GOTV. How big a factor uh, was that when the Republican side were much more active there? Although, again, that varied from place uh, to place as well. So I think ultimately it's multivariate. I think the fault lies in all of the above. Uh, to some degree or another and the problem here is that i don't think anyone ends up with a final conclusion because each side has their perspectives on it there's no kind of way of objectively saying well it was definitely this this and this uh, in this race but it was that that and that in this other race and it just ends up being a bun fight and nothing much in yeah. so True i'm
0: point. just gonna throw yeah. something Go ahead, in here because uh, we don't have that much time for this recording but I was talking to another Irish friend who's in uh Boston and she was saying that one of the things she thought the Democrats had a problem with and I never heard this I don't think I've ever heard this uh term before but it'll be familiar to you too that that they lacked wedge issues something that really cut across a large swathe of uh the you know the the varied population now what do you say to that?
2: I think she's wrong um, for the obvious reason that their key cut across issue was opposing Trump. Um, Biden was very, very careful to avoid being pigeonholed as a divider. He wanted to be seen as somebody that could bring the country together. That increasingly was starting to concern some people on the left that he wasn't more forthright on issues they would like have liked to see him take more of a lead on. But it looks like his, his strategy paid off. So I think that's wrong. I, I will say, though, that just riffing on Shane's point about what conclusions to draw, and, and, and very often people draw conclusions too soon. The one that I'm most afraid of in, in the real world outside of politics is what this is going to mean for public health policy. Because while Trump has been comprehensively defeated here, it's also more complicated than that. He still got 70 million votes. He's still got more votes than he got in 2016. And one interpretation, rightly or wrongly, but one that's starting to gain legs, is that a lot of his vote was an anti-lockdown vote. It was people who were faced with the terrible choice of statistically being unlikely to die from contracting coronavirus, but economically being certain to face catastrophe if they lose their jobs, and therefore faced with that choice, increasingly being opposed to potential for new stringent lockdown measures which look like they're now going to be hard to avoid and are already starting to come in this morning and for example maryland across the border from from me so i do worry that it's going to be next to impossible for the incoming democratic administration to take the steps that need to be taken to combat coronavirus because whatever else has just been voted on here it looks like there's no clear mandate for a gloves-off full lockdown, and, and that could be big, big trouble moving ahead for for both the Biden presidency, but more importantly for for the rest of us who actually have to live here.
1: Sure. The other factor, the, yeah, the other factor there, which I think is worth noting, is you know I think folks in Ireland and in the UK are used to election new government you know one day election new government next day uh, here you know it's it's going to be the middle of january before a new administration uh, is is in place when you're dealing with a pandemic that is a lot of time between now and then before you can even start to put in place the measures that you want to put in place so that's another complicating uh, another complicating factor here that shouldn't be ignored
0: uh, so, just going back to your first point, Shane, as a way of finishing off, to both of you, what are what lessons do you think um, that, that are on display for local parties to think about in terms of campaigning? Things that maybe don't understand or haven't seen before, or haven't clearly understood. Rory.
2: Well, one thing that's often frustrated me about the local scene when you look at it from DC and you look across the water, is the lack of policy as an anchor for marketing. And to give one example of that, I've been here almost 20 years and be reasonably friendly with quite a few people who come over for the St. Patrick's Day celebrations and maybe other points during the week. And and they say, sorry, I, I say this with with affection and maybe a, a little criticism, they, they tend to spend much more time with other people who have just made that trip while they're here than people they could meet while they're here. And examples of people that, that I think they maybe want to spend more time with while they're here are not actually in the political and marketing space. They're in the policy space. So we've got in, in D.C. some of the best think tanks in the world, some of the most innovative policy hubs in the world. And even in American politics, it's very difficult to filter those ideas through into policy but it's not impossible and, and I think when they're looking at how to move voters that are at least persuadable there is still something to be learned from the US about how you can take policy innovation apply it to people's lives and then put marketing in place on, on top of that it doesn't just have to be a head counted doesn't just have to be drive out the vote. And I'll, I'll finish by saying maybe the best example of this is what we talked about it on our very first call, demographics. Because isn't it ironic that Biden has just won this election through white voters in Pennsylvania, despite not doing as well with um, what they call here Hispanic or Latino voters? And I, I gave my reasons for why I think that's a, a category that really simplifies, and I think the data has, has just borne that out. So, so demogra- dem- demographics need not be destiny. Politics need not just be head counting and voter mobilisation. There is a place for ideas, and I do think back home they, they really need some fresh ideas. So, so maybe that would be a good place to start.
0: Great, Shane?
1: Yeah, I don't don't disagree with that. Uh, the one thing I'll I'll deal with, uh, I'll address the campaign side. I think if parties in Northern Ireland, Ireland, UK are looking for um, looking for ideas here, they should probably look further down the ballot than the presidential level, uh, if for no other reason uh, than budget. And when you look further down the ballot, one of the really interesting things that's come out as a result of of COVID, people not being able to send film shoes to candidates and so on. It's a lot more remote work where candidates themselves, friends and family are actually helping them shoot uh, video for Facebook for uh for YouTube and so on, so on to, to share through their email, their email list. So authenticity, you know, really kind of basic stuff where you're speaking authentically to camera about issues that affect local people. And then, and this is the key thing, the best campaigns in the US, up and down the ballot, Uh, have invested early and over a long period of time in building a proprietary list of supporters, uh, by which I mean an email list of people uh, who are on board uh, with uh, what they want to achieve. um, And they treat that list like a community. You know they're not constantly just hammering it for fundraising, uh, which is less a factor uh, certainly in in Northern Ireland. But they're communicating with them about issues, what they're doing on the uh, in the campaign space, uh, and so on. Now again, obviously being GDPR compliant is is critical uh, in the northern in the Northern Ireland context. But taking that time early on to build a list uh, so that when it comes time. Uh, to an election you can mobilize that list both in terms of voting in terms of volunteering getting out the vote at uh, things of that nature but it's a channel that you own because if you're beholden to a facebook or a twitter or um you know your party election broadcast or so on um as a means to get your message in front of people you're going through an intermediary and that's fine you have to do that to some degree but if you have a direct channel that you own yourself, that you have cultivated over time, that you've built a relationship with, you can do a lot more with that. You have a lot more flexibility uh, and and a lot more opportunity to communicate directly to that audience than you do through any other channel and it'll be the single most valuable thing that any campaign has.
0: Politics Plus is brought to you by Slugger O'Toole, Northern Ireland's leading source of independent news and comment on politics and culture. If you've enjoyed this podcast, why not head over to SluggerO'Toole.com, hit the donor box button and give what you can. Oh, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button wherever you get your quality podcasts.